just a few chapters here, in a period of a week, all, all these things are recorded. Now, everything's not recorded, so I'm going to go through a list of, of some things that he experienced his final week here. In the temple, he overthrew the tables. I don't know about you, but I understand that. You know, he wasn't some meek little man that always, uh, um, everybody ran over him. That day, he threw the temple, he threw the temple tables over. They were in their money changing and, and looking to profit themselves. He taught on taxes. He taught on giving. He taught on the destruction of the temple in three days, and he raised it up. He was broken for Jerusalem, his emotional state. He had a lot of things on his mind because he was, a lot of things was coming to a climax. When his return would be, his disciples asked him, when are you, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to come back and set it up? He t- talked about the bride and the bridesmaids, the five foolish, the five wise. He talked about the alabaster box, about the lady who broke the spikenard of oil, of perfume, and poured it on him. And the disciples got dis, dis, distracted by, by that. Jesus and Judas agreed to betray him. Then he had the Last Supper, and they're all sitting around the table the night that he was betrayed. But then he knows what it was like to be praying alone. I want to talk to you today because a lot of us do things in public that it's hard for God to get us to get alone. It's so important in each of our lives that we are preparing and we do things to invite his presence. Some people came expecting this morning. Some people came just because it's a routine thing they they do on Sunday. What happens to those who expect? It's just a little bit different. The arrest took place that week. The denials of Peter took place that week. Jesus' trial took place that week. The beating upon his back was, was happened that week. Go to Mark chapter 11. He had a busy week. I couldn't imagine that many topics in, in my life in a week, but he experienced them. In chapter 11 and verse 4. The followers went into the town and found a colt tied in the street in the door of a house and untied it. And some people were standing there that asked, what are you doing? Why are you untying the colt? And the, the followers answered the way that Jesus told them to answer. And the people let them take the colt. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it and Jesus on it. And many people spread out their coats on the road. Others kept branches in the fields and spread them on, on the road. The people were walking The people were walking ahead of Jesus and behind him shouting, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. If you don't know what that means, save us, save us. They thought they were ushering in the king of kings who's going to go in and overthrow the Roman Empire. They thought, hey, we're going to have their own independent king for forever. And they were disappointed because his kingdom was not of this world. And it still grows today in hearts and lives of many. So we have this situation that these people were all expecting this. And the crowds loved him. They took their coats and their blankets and the palm branches. They rode into town on an untamed donkey. Uh, they were eager and they were so excited. But let me ask you, one of the, one of the same problems that happened a lot with the Jewish people is that their, their love diminished. They diminished. I'm sure that some of them in their religiosity seeing Jesus in the temple throwing the tables over, and they said, this man can't be of God. 
There's no way he could be a God and be doing destructive things like that. His behavior is unacceptable. Yet we do the same type of things. See, these people uh, that weekend, they were giving their palm branches for him to ride on. And I'm sure they took him home like a kid or like us. We take things home. Look, this is the donkey he rode on. He stepped on this. I've got the kings of branches that he rode against and, and rode on this. And I keep them in, my, in our, our, our safety deposit box and keep it somewhere safe. But within a week, they were trading the palm branches for a crown of thorns. It's amazing how temporary they they inhabited his his presence. Stay with me. And anytime we have a service and we have services, we see God's spirit moving and you see him healing people and you just you just bless the music or the word or whatever. It takes a lot of inhabitation. It takes a lot of work to keep his presence inhabited here. You may not think about it, but what kind of work did these people do to welcome him? They cut down a palm branch. Okay, they took their coat down. They threw a blanket out for him to ride across. That's a lot of effort. People followed him. We know in the book of John, a lot of people followed him because they were looking for another miracle. They were looking for their meals to be, to be met. But they really weren't seeking him from their heart. You see, it's easy to follow Jesus when the miracles were happening, watching the lame walk, the lepers healed, deaf people healed, and hearing the great parables. But it's also easy to get discouraged when you base everything on a moment. If you go to your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel, if you will. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This was another occasion the Jewish people were doing something in, in, in Israel. They were headed to Israel. They were taking the, the, the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. And David was their leader. You see, what we read in Mark, it was Jesus coming to Jerusalem the same way. And the people threw things down and they represented a... a, a obedience to him or adoration unto him. But in 2 Samuel, this is the presence of God in the Ark of the Temple, Ark of the Ark of the Covenant coming into town. And they were building up a, a uh, hype and everybody was excited and things until something went wrong. Failure to handle the presence of God properly. Failure to, ha- to, to handle the presence of God properly. And some of you are like, well, I don't know what, what you mean. And others of you know exactly what I mean. There's things that we handle that, that are given into our hands to take care of and to manage. But yet we don't handle them correctly. Chapter 6 and verse, I believe verse 2. And then he and all his people went to Bala and Jordan and Judah to bring back the ark of God. The ark, called, the ark is called by name in the name of the all Lord our powerful whose throne is between the golden creatures and the wings. And they put the ark of God onto a cart, a new cart, and brought it out to Abinadab's house on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, 
led the cart, which, uh, the ark, which had the ark of God on it, also walking in front of it. And David with all the Israelites was celebrating the presence of the Lord. They were playing their wooden instruments, lutes, harps, tambourines, and rattles and cymbals. And when David's men came up on the threshing floor of Nacon, the, the oxen stumbled. So Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark. And the Lord was angry with Uzzah and killed him because of what he did. So Uzzah was there beside the ark of God. I'll stop for just a minute. People got mad and people don't understand God's holiness. There is a certain way to handle what God has called holy. And there was no exceptions. If King David had touched the ark itself, he would have been killed. This was a, the son of a, a, the priest. And the, the priests were involved in bringing the ark to Jerusalem. But they were doing things completely wrong. See, they were bringing it in on an oxen cart with two oxen pulling it. And people were managing to keep it from falling off the, off the cart. I'm sure it was uh, Uzzah and his brother. But when he touched it, God struck him dead instantly. So where did David fail? He compromised. He either compromised or he didn't seek counsel on proper removing of the ark. Now you may think, well, what is the big deal about the ark? The ark represented who God was. It, was, it had the Ten Commandments. It had some other uh, articles in it that were historically precious to the Jewish people. It was a small box. It was about 42 inches long. It was about 27 inches wide and 70, 27 inches high. And it's overlaid with cherubims, and all of it had pounded gold upon it. It was very pretty. It was very ornate. Maybe that's where the Catholic Church gets all their gold and their ornateness. I don't know. We don't have a lot of ornate things, but let me tell you, there's something important about how you present and how you house the, the, the presence of God. This is something that's very detrimental to these people. Uzzah's failure was not a result was the result of David's lack of planning, but it was also a lack of discipline in his own life. He was, a Le- he was a child of a Levite. He knew the law. Nobody could touch it. Matter of fact, there was even wooden rods. They, they were overlaid. There was a certain type of wood. It's in the book of uh, Exodus. that They had a certain type of wood, and they were overlaid with gold to carry the thing. It was supposed to be upon the hearts and lives of men. Stay with me. It was supposed to be on the hearts and lives of men carrying the presence of God. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the responsibility of oxen. And the same way in, the, in which we live today, it's our responsibility on how we take care of the presence of God. It's how we conduct ourselves. It's how we live our lives. It's things that we, we don't allow in our lives or the things that we do allow in our lives. Well, I'm gonna be, I'll be honest with you. Last Thursday, I was here at the church. There was no one here. And, and I was just had a long time in my office. And I didn't come in here. And let me tell you, people that's, that's here, Every seat in this place is prayed for. I was sitting here praying for, I was walking among the aisles, and, and just whoever was sitting, I was just praying that God's anointing, his power began to fall upon them. And God began to lay it upon my heart. Dwight, you're going to have to experience some things that are un- uncomfortable and things that you don't really understand. For God to do what he wants to do, it's not, no, let me tell you, we're not going to have, it's not going to be an emotional fest. It's not going to be a bunch of um, stuff that just not, doesn't have order to it. There has to be a rhyme and a reason. A manifestation of God, if he does something, he does it for a reason. Either the person's life physically or their life spiritually or um, that person's life mentally. 
There's things that he does things that God does not waste his anointing. He does not waste his calling upon us. And it is so important that we conduct ourselves exactly the way we should. So in all this mess with us dying and David becoming frustrated, he noticed something. Look in verse, uh, in verse 11. Nope, go back. So David moved, would not move the ark of the Lord to be with him in Jerusalem. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, a man from Gath. The ark of the Lord stayed at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom there. Let me tell you something. There's something that happens when we house God's presence. There's something that happens. There's some, there's some of you who came to church here the first time, and you think, there's something different in this place. There's something different happening to me. And you, maybe some of you are afraid, and maybe you didn't come back for a while. But there was others who came in and you said, wait a minute, there's something really, let me, let me expound. Um, where's Haley? Uh, she came here last Sunday, and she said she was ready late. It was her husband's fault, and, and I, don't, I don't know why she was late, but she was late. And, and she came into church, she said a guest service had just started. She said literally when she just walked into the church, she said, she stopped. This doesn't mean all spiritual things, but I knew exactly what she was saying. She said she stopped, she looked, and the hairs on her arms were standing up. She knew God was in the place, and it's very important. Yeah, I was. And God, God has done a lot of things. But let me tell you something. It'd be real easy for her to decide, well, I'm just not going to come next week. I'll just stay home tonight. I'll just go do something else. The presence that she feels is incredibly important that she honors that presence. That sounds kind of weird, but it is. It's the truth. difference. Let me read my notes. I've got some things written about that. You'll get out here in about a little while. Uh, it was, it is so important that we respond and prepare correctly. I'm going to say this again. It is so important that we respond and we prepare correctly. It was a win for some of you when you went, walked into these doors that something had begun to happen. Something about God's presence began to choose you, had began to change you, began to mold you for more to do it, for him to do in your life. And unbeknownst to you, your life would never be the same. It's a process when he starts the work, not being afraid of God and who he is and what he wants you to do and what he puts on you to, re, to respond to. I'm going to tell you what happens in a person's life. When you're faithful to the house of God. Because after three months, Obed-Edom, his life changed. Obed-Edom began to experience the things. And I don't believe, I don't believe it's just him. I don't believe his hair began to grow a little, a little nicer. And I don't believe he, he became buff and muscular. But I believe happened. I believe his pastures got greener. I believe his livestock got a little healthier. I think everything he put his hand to do, it began to increase and began to prosper. Because look in verse 14. The people told David, look, the Lord has blessed the famine of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of, the ark of God is there. What, what did the ark represent? It represented God's presence. There's something that happens in a person's life when they openly say, God, I want more of you. There's something that happens in their life when a person understands and they, and they walk in a way that they say, God, I'm not afraid. God, I wanted you to do all you want to do in my life. And it's so important, so important how we carry, 
how we carry this torch or this flame or, or whatever. After David seen what was going on in Obed-Edom's house, he goes, you know what, i gotta get, I got to get this to uh, Jerusalem. So David, when he brought it up from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem with joy, the men carrying the ark of the Lord had walked six steps, and David sacrificed a bull and a calf. Let me tell you, it represented a place of, of him honoring God, and he respected God. When God does something in your life, you need to awesome, you need to always respect and pay attention to what he's done. There's little things that he does that we just kind of flippantly go in one ear, out the other. One experience that we just experience, it and, well, it's no big deal. Or will we, or we begin to justify that God isn't real because of something that he, maybe he hasn't done. I'm going to close in a scripture. It's in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to read something to you. These past Sundays, man, y'all getting a real condensed uh, version that's okay. You may wonder what this sermon has to do with raise the life. Let me tell you, if you if you take care of take care of everything that you prepare, you take care of God's presence. You take care of Him. You're not just caught up in emotion and, and throwing the the palm branches and stuff. Romans chapter 14, I'm just going to read a part of it. Who quickeneth, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Someone talked to me this past week and they said, uh, it's important that you declare and you decree. That's all they said. That's all they said. I thought, declare and decree? What do you mean declare and decree? Declare and decree. What does decree and declare mean? Who wants to declare? Who wants to declare? So I began to think about it. So I'm going to read this to you because this is what I feel like God wants to speak to our church. Declare and decree openly. I publicly declare and decree that it is of great importance that we desire his presence, desire his influence, and desire his power to influence and work in our lives. We are a church that desires to see the lost come to Christ. We are a church who values every person that comes in these doors. We are a church that, that has learned to expect and trust God. Expect and trust all that God has for us. From the north, the south, the east, and the west, we are expecting people to find Christ here. With an eager expectation of what God wants to do in their lives. As followers of Christ, we strive to walk in His Spirit. And because of who He is, because of because of who Christ is, our lives will never, ever, our lives will never, ever, never, ever be the same. There is something about us. God gives us the ability. He allows us to take care of his presence. We can't, we can't command it, but there's something about him honoring us as we honor him. If we want to see, and you desire to see, whether you do or not, I do. In Joshua chapter 10, I mean Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to close with this. Verse 10 says, and Joshua gave orders to the officers of the people. Go through the camp and tell the people. 
get your supplies ready. Three days from now and you will cross the Jordan River and take the land the Lord is giving you. I took that as, why not? You're giving us something that we've never had. A place that we've always looked from afar off. But he's going to provide a way to cross the river. And he's going to provide the way that we need and everything that we need once we cross. Amen. Three days. You've got to be ready. When God says, when God says, take the land. I, I know God has desires to bless you and this church and your family. He desires to raise us to life in the way that we've never experienced Him before. Let's, let's, that, that song that you sang in the one, let's close with that. And, uh, whatever it was, Rise, Rise of Lazarus. I want us to leave on a high note. And maybe you're here tonight, today. And you think that I'm crazy. And I might be. But you've never experienced raised to life. You've never experienced God in an awesome way, the way He wants to work in our life. He's not worried about impressing me. He's not worried about impressing you. But He is here to do great things in your life. If you only let Him. If you only let Him. Let's stand. You know, you can, you can get saved standing right there. Not a person, no a word you said. You sit, men, no, you, don't, you can even close one eye, leave one open. You got somebody standing on this side of you. Father, I need you. You know I'm a sinner. You know my past. You know what I've done wrong. Hold on, I repent of my sin. I repent of the places I've been and the things I've done. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me. It's as simple as that. But when you mean it with your heart, you say it in the way that you know, in the way that you feel. He is honored. He will honor you. He will move in your life and He will change your life. We're going to sing this song because I think it's great for what God's going to do and what He has done. Amen.